Now we're going back into our study in the book of Revelation. How many have felt the blessing of God as we've talked about this? How many have had answered prayer? We've been praying. God's working. What's our reason for studying this book? Because we're not going to be here for most of it. Revelation says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So even though we're not going to be here for most of it, the Bible says we'll be blessed as we study it. So that's why we're studying it. Because God, all of God's word is applicable and God, God's word is meant to be studied and taken in. What's the Bible say? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So we want to make sure we understand all of God's word. Now we've completed nine chapters so far in the book of Revelation. Most of those nine chapters describe the horrific events that will come on the earth after the rapture takes place. But every judgment that God brings upon the earth, he gives with it an opportunity for those who are still here to repent. God's giving them, and he could wipe them out at one time, but he doesn't. He wants people, he's giving people a chance to repent. But at the end of chapter nine, we saw that even after all those horrific things, people still don't repent. So now we come to chapter 10. I mentioned earlier that in the, in the uh, seals, there was an intermission between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And we talked about John's vision, that, that intermission there. And then it picked up with the seventh seal, which is basically the seven trumpets. And now we come to the sixth trumpet, and now there's another intermission between the sixth and seventh trumpet. And that is basically chapters 10 and most of chapter 11. But we're going to look at chapter 10 today, and I'll read it to you. It's relatively a short chapter. It's only 11 verses. But now... When you read this, it's not like you're getting into the weeds of stuff. Some of the stuff is really difficult to understand sometimes, and it takes a lot of study and a lot of prayer, and sometimes you still don't know what it says. I've, I've read commentaries, and it's funny. As many commentaries as there are, there's that many opinions about what this stuff means. But we're going to try and glean from the most common themes and the most common uh, meanings of these phrases. So Revelation chapter 10 says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll which he had unrolled. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered, When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but a voice from heaven called to me, keep secret what the seven thunders said. Do not write them down. Then the mighty angel standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, and he swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and everything in it, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. He said, God will wait no longer. But when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice from the heaven called to me again, go and take the unrolled scroll from the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I approached him and asked him to give me the scroll. Yes, take and eat it, he said. At first it will taste like honey, but when you swallow it, it will make your stomach sour. So I took the little scroll from the hands of the angel and I ate it. 
It was sweet in my mouth, but it made my stomach sour. Then he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So that's chapter 10. The intermission here is designed to provide additional information on the previous events, what's happened before, and what's going to happen in the future. Now, if you could put kind of like a parenthesis, you can put a parenthesis around chapter 11, or chapter 10, and up through 11, 14, chapter 11, verse 14, because at 11, 15, the seventh trumpet picks up. So this is kind of an intermission, a bracket, there's something different going on than the rest of the seven trumpets. So we're gonna go verse by verse and see what the Bible says and what we can glean from it. Verse one says, then I saw an, another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire. First thing we notice, I, I didn't notice this at first, but John in chapter nine was in heaven. Chapter 10, it appears John's back on the earth because he sees the angel coming down from heaven. He sees an angel coming down and it appears to be a different angel than once before. He's described as a mighty angel surrounded by a cloud. And clouds in the Old Testament meant God's presence. Uh, Exodus 16.10 says, and as Aaron spoke to the people, they looked out towards the desert. With the guiding cloud, they could see the awesome glory of the Lord. Exodus 24, 15, then Moses went up in the mountain and the cloud covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord rested upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. So the angel coming down represents the power and the glory of God. Now the angel coming down is not Jesus. A lot of people think it might be Jesus, but it's not and we'll get into that in a minute. And the pillars of fire represent both protection and judgment. God protected the Israelites in the desert with pillars of fire, but he also used fire from heaven to kill the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The descriptions here have been used to represent Christ, and some think the angel is Jesus, but it's not. Jesus is never referred to as an angel in Revelation. He's never referred to as an angel in the New Testament. And why would the description be another angel when referring to the Lord Jesus? And later this angel takes a oath before God, which Jesus wouldn't have to take an oath. And he's not just another angel. But even so, his appearance draws attention, attention to God and the glories of heaven. You see the rainbow, you see everything else that signifies God. And it brings people's attention and focus towards heaven. Verse two says, in his hand was a small scroll which he had unrolled. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now this angel, other angels in the Bible have appeared to be normal size. People think they're men, but this angel seems to be huge. He has a foot on the ocean and a foot on the land, so he appears to be an immense angel with great power and tremendous size. His, the size and placement of his feet signify that the message is going to affect the whole world. He's not only on the land, but it's on the sea, so it's affecting everyone. And he has this scroll in his hand, but this scroll is not the scroll that we talked about in chapter five. This scroll is unsealed. It is not the same one in verse five, in, or chapter five, verse one. And that verse says, and I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who's sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed. So that scroll was sealed. This scroll has already been opened 
There's, there's nothing written on it from what he says. And it should be connected not to Revelation chapter 5, but it should be connected to Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 2. Ezekiel says, the same thing happened to Ezekiel. It says, and I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and it held a scroll. He unrolled it, and I saw that both sides were covered with funeral songs, other words of sorrow and pronouncements of doom. So the scroll that he's getting is, symbol, is a symbol of what happened to Ezekiel back in chapter 2. And at the end of the chapter, John is instructed to eat the scroll, and we're going to see how that relates back to Ezekiel's as well, Ezekiel chapter 3. It says, the voice said to me, son of man, eat what I'm giving you. Eat this scroll and go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Eat it, he said. And when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey. And if you look ahead to chapter 10, in the end, in three, verses 3 and 4, it says, and he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But a voice from heaven called to me. Keep secret what the seven thunders said. Do not write it down. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, God's voice has been compared to a lion, and it's been compared to thunder. Hosea 1.11.10 says, For someday the people will follow the Lord. I will roar like a lion, and my people will return trembling from the west. In Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. These thunders represent certain aspects of God's coming judgment on the world, more than he's already placed with the seven seals and the first six trumpets. Revelation 19, now John was getting ready to write this down because that was what he was told to do, right? In Revelation 119, Jesus says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen later. But now this voice from heaven, we assume it's God, tells him not to write it down. Now why not write what he's seeing down. If he's writing everything else down, why not that? It tells us we don't know what the thunders mean. Nobody knows in advance everything that's gonna happen in the book of Revelation during that time, the tribulation. If these things are things that are gonna happen and we don't know what they are or when they're going to happen, we can't really be dogmatic about the sequence of events that are going to take place. Because there's things that are going to happen that Jesus says, don't write these down. They're going to happen. No one knows about it. They're not written down. They're going to be in addition to all the punishment and judgments that's coming upon the earth. To be honest, what we know now is, is horrific enough. I mean, we don't need to know, know anymore. If it's going to be worse than that, we don't really need to know that. Revelation 10 verse 5 says, Then the mighty angel standing on the sea and on the land lifted his right hand to heaven. And he swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and everything in it, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. He said, God will no longer wait. So raising his right hand is a part of an oath ceremony that was taken in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 12.40 says, now I raise my hand to heaven and declare as surely as I live. And then Daniel 12, 7 says, The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took this solemn oath by the one who lives forever. So an you have an angel swearing an oath to the God of heaven. Again, another reason why this isn't Jesus. The one who created all things, who was God, in contrast to the worthless idols that can do nothing for them. What is he saying? He's swearing an oath to God 
saying you created everything. Everything that's been created, Colossians 1 or 2, I think, everything that's been created, you created. And he's saying that in comparison to the, what the people are worshiping now and what will be, they'll be worshiping during Revelation time, during the tribulation time. They're worshiping other idols. You remember talk, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. The people are looking for something supernatural. And so right now we have it with tarot cards and Ouija boards and all that kind of stuff, horoscopes and all that jazz. Well, during the Revelation, people are going to be doing all that kind of stuff. They're, we said there's a lot of religion going on during the tribulation time. All these people are trying to find out truth and help from other people that aren't God. And the angel's saying, God, you created everything. Everything that's out there, you created, which means those idols, those gods, whatever people are banking on, was also created by God, so it's not God. And they're doing worthless things, they're worshiping worthless idols. And God has all the power, the idols have none of the power, and all the judgments that are going to happen are within God's right to do and his power to do. If he created everything, then he is able to bring these judgments on the earth. You know, you think about it. The Bible says we are all worthy of judgment. How many know that? And it's only because of Jesus that we get to miss that judgment. What's the Bible say in Romans? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says, you know, everyone, everyone has sinned. Yes, everyone. Everyone deserves this. And I, I, I was telling the kids in youth today, we sang the goodness of God. We talked about God's goodness. How good has God been to us as a church, us as a country, us as believers here? Look what's happening in the rest of the world. I, I heard someone say, when you hear you know, prosperity preachers and all that kind of stuff, he says, if you can't preach that same message in Ethiopia, you can't preach it here. Because they don't have, they're not begging for bigger things and better things, they're begging for food. They want shelter. And if you can't you know, promise someone uh, a brand new car because they've given, then you can't, prom- you can't preach that here. And so when God says these things are worthless, that's what he means. And we have to recognize how much God has blessed us. Even though things are rough here, nothing compared to what's happening in the rest of the world. And we have to understand that everything that we have, I mean everything, God gave it to us. If we have the ability to earn a living, God gave you that ability. If you have a place to live and a car to drive, God gave it to you. And for all that stuff, we have to be grateful for God. And we just can't take that stuff for granted. And a lot of people during this time are gonna be banking on all those things and all those things at this point will be gone. So now what do they have to turn to? Their jobs, their wealth, their possessions, whatever, all that's gonna be gone at this point. So now they're trying to pray to everything else but Christ. And God says, I have the ability to bring judgment because I've offered you many times to repent and you haven't. And his his oath goes on to say, God will wait no longer. The NIV says there will be no more delay. New American Standard says there will be delay no longer. That means the events that are following this are gonna happen in rapid succession. They're not gonna be timed out like the first ones. 
And the time for people to repent now during these tribulations is getting shorter. She's not going to have all this time to repent. Verse 7 says, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, in other words, back chapter 11, verse 15, where this picks up, says, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. And again, that's talking about what Ezekiel did, what Daniel's saying. All the prophets, all the prophecies giving through the Old Testament about what's going to happen during the Revelation time is now going to happen. It's not going to delay. God's not going to wait. Right now, we're in the church age. And I'm not going to get into this. The Bible says, talks about 70 weeks. 69 weeks were fulfilled when Christ died. God paused that last week. Now we're living in a church age, kind of a parenthesis. When the tribulation starts, that starts the last of the 70th week, the 70th week. And so what he's saying, that the pause is over, the delay is over, all these things that I prophesied in the Old Testament now are going to happen in rapid succession. And it's going to continue throughout the seven bold judgments of God's wrath, the defeat of the Antichrist, and the initiation or the initiating of the millennial kingdom. Basically, what happens now through chapter 20 is going to happen in rapid succession. And the mysterious plan, when used in the New Testament, refers to things in the Old Testament that haven't been revealed. When the prophets in the Old Testament would give prophecies, they were assuming it was for them or close to them. But what they weren't assuming was it was going to happen thousands of years from them. And all the, all the prophecies that the Jews didn't recognize when Jesus came, all those are going to now be fulfilled. Colossians 1.25 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. And what's the mystery? The mystery is salvation. The mystery is coming to know Christ. The mystery is the law is ending. The whole, the whole inheritance that believers will receive. How many have ever been the recipient of a will? Someone died in your family and you received something from them. Everything that God wrote in his Bible is in the will. And once we come to know Christ, we have the inheritance. We just haven't received all of it yet. It's in the will. We've got it. Now it's going to go through probate. Now it's going to go through the courts. And finally, when all this is done, then we receive fully what the inheritance that God already promised us is. I'm going to read an excerpt from Dr. Stanley Horton. He wrote a book on Revelation. Actually, this was my textbook from Revelation when I was in Bible college. I'm going to read this to you. He says, this salvation includes our whole inheritance, which we are to receive when Jesus comes to earth again, second coming. All that the prophets foresaw, including the future kingdom and even the new heavens and the new earth. All these things take place, so too will the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about both judgment and restoration. It will be clear then that God is a faithful God who knows what he is doing. The prophets of the Old Testament made it clear that sin and corruption must be purged from the earth before God's kingdom can be established here. That the kingdom must be brought in through judgment is therefore good news, for it means that everything that falls short of the glory of God in this present world system will be gone, replaced by the better things of the coming kingdom of Christ. 
God's glory and plan will then no longer have any phase that is still a mystery because we'll have, the Bible says we will know as we are known. I'm near excited for that. I was, when I was reading that, how many have ever worked on a body work on a car? How many have ever had a cut rust out of your car? What happens if you don't cut all the rust out? It keeps growing. Same with cancer. If you don't get cancer all the way out, it keeps growing. When God has to purge the world of sin, that's what he's doing. Everything that will keep growing, God has to get rid of. And that's gonna happen through the judgment. Revelation 10 verse nine says, this is John saying, so I approached him and asked, to get, asked him to give me the little scroll. Yes, take and eat it, he said. At first it will taste like honey, but when you swallow it, it will make your stomach sour. Both in Ezekiel and in John, they have to pass on information that's in the scroll and they had to spiritually digest what was in it before they can actually pass it on to somebody else. In other words, whoever is speaking has to internalize what God's word says before he's able to pass it on to somebody else. And we assume that it has some association with God's word since God wrote the scroll. Whether it's about future judgments or more woes or a message to the church, it doesn't say, so we don't know. But since it's God's word, before John can preach it and before Ezekiel can tell his people, he has to live it. He has to get it into his life. Christians can't just know about the Bible. You need to make it a part of your life. You have to eat it. The Bible refers to itself as, as food, milk, bread, meat, and honey, all references to God's word. And unless we swallow or ingest God's word, it's not gonna help us. There's a lot of people out there that know a lot about the Bible, but they're not Christians. And the word doesn't help them. They know information. They don't know God. Now we see here that God's word tastes like honey, but makes his stomach sour. Because God's word contains both blessings and curses. Right? Mercy and judgments. And for us as believers, there's things that we like and things that we don't like. God's word is not all sweetness and love, right? It is if you're a believer. For believers, God's word is sweet to hear and obey. I was telling the kids today that they need to read God's word for themselves. And it, it, they can't be Christians because their parents are Christians. <laughs> they can't be Christians because they just come to church. I said, they're old enough now. I said, if I ask you why do you come to church, what are you gonna say? Well, they don't answer me, but I, I would say if, if, if your answer is because my parents made me, I said, well, you know, that's good if you're five, but now you're 13 and 18, you should want to come for yourself, not because someone's making you come. And I said, the only way that God's word's gonna help you is if you read it. 
God's gonna help you through the struggles. You're, you know, life's gonna have struggles. God's word's gonna help you through it. But it's not gonna help you if you don't know it. <laughs> For unbelievers, God's word is harshness and punishment. If you ask someone about the Bible, most people will say, oh, it's God hates people, God hates this, that, and the other. But if you talk to Christians, it's about, it's about God's love. Now, John, we refer to him as the apostle of love, right? John 3, 16. And we tell new believers to read John first. But here, God's having to tell John what he's going to deliver in his final message. And it's not about love. It's about bitterness, sorrow, and judgment. You know, preachers don't like to preach about that. But you got to. Verse 10 says, so I took a little scroll from the hands of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but it made my stomach sour. First, John had to actually take the scroll. The angel didn't shove it on him. John asked the angel, can I have it? God doesn't force himself on anybody. If you ask him, he'll reach out to you. And his hand's there for you if you reach out. But God's not going to grab you by the scruff of the neck and pull you along. We have to take God's salvation. John was forewarned about the effects of God's word. God, the angel said, hey, it's going to make you sick. It's going to taste good, but it's going to make you sick. We took the kids to the Dairy Queen yesterday, little kids. And, uh, you know, Dairy Queen, you can't leave without having ice cream. And so we get in the car, and uh, Larkin says, I had so much ice cream, my belly hurts. And she didn't have that much. She just, you know. But what happens? Sometimes you eat too much of something that's good. It makes your stomach sick. What the angel said came true. John knew if he ate it, it's going to make him sick. And he took it anyways. So if that thing came true, everything else written in the scroll is going to come true too. And I wrote down, pastors have to be sure to preach all of God's word, not just the stuff we like to hear. And there is stuff that's hard to hear. If you're a believer and you have friends that aren't believers, I don't like this stuff. That's why we have a burden for people who don't know Christ. Because I don't, I don't hate anybody that bad that they, I want them to go through this. And I love a lot of people that I don't want to go through this. But if I don't tell anybody about it, then I'm not doing my job. Stuff that's hard to hear is both for believers, and it, but especially for unbelievers. You know, I would love it if, if universalism was true. Everybody makes it to heaven. But it's not. I'd love that everyone's lifestyle was okay with God. But it's not. If you go to the doctor, you want truth, right? You want the doctor to tell you what you want to hear, or you want the doctor to tell you what you need to hear? We want to know the truth. Because we know the truth, we can do something about it. But if they lie to us and say everything's fine, and you won't know what to do, and whatever you have will get worse. Even when we as believers read God's word, we worry and fear and pray for those who don't believe because the judgments that are coming will make us sick. 
And you think about it. You get sick about people you love that are going to go through this. All the angst and the sickness we should feel should make us more able to warn those of what God says about salvation. Which brings us to verse 11. says, Then he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. What he's called to prophesy isn't just a recap of everything that's happened, but a further progression of things that are going to happen connected to all the judgments that are coming to the end. He said, prophesy again. He already prophesied once. He said, prophesy, do it again. And prophesy to these people, nations, languages, and kings. Notice earlier, he said, prophesy to tribes. That's common people. Now he's saying, prophesy to kings. So now he's prophesying the leaders of the world. And it could possibly mean the kings of the earth that they talk about in Revelation 17. Revelation 17, 9 says, and now understand this. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills of the city where this woman rules. They also represent seven kings. So now John's got to prophesy to those in leadership. And usually when you come against someone in leadership, it doesn't go well for you. And then God uses the word nations, and when he uses the word nations, it usually refers to the Gentile nations, not the Jewish nation, because God has a plan for the Jewish people and their restoration. This is for the rest of the world. The 70th week, the last week in tribulation, God's working out his plan for the Jewish people. The end times is all about the Jewish people. God, how God has called them, they're his people, he's gonna restore them. All the things that are happening in now and in the past and in the end times, it's all about what God's relationship is to the Jews. I heard a number of sermons, America's not in the book of Revelation. <laughs> the only country that's really talked about other than Russia is Israel because that's what Revelation's all about. Restoring the Jewish nation. Now, Noah asked me if we we're going to finish early. I said, I don't know, maybe. And it looks like we are. Now, next week, we're going to finish the intermission that is, goes up to 11, chapter 11, verse 14, talk about the two witnesses. But I asked the question are we getting into our spirit what God is saying in the book? What's God saying in the book of Revelation? What did he say way back in Revelation 2 and numerous times? The same one that John is asking the churches, we have to ask ourselves. Revelation 2, 7, anyone who's willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What do you think he's saying to you or to us? Time is short. And I, I believe every generation has thought that their generation was the last generation. But I believe that this is the last generation, whether it's my generation or the kids that are growing up generation. I mean, we're seeing things in prophecy fulfilled that up until now weren't. They, we had the video a while ago where they restored the capital of Jerusalem, Israel. 40 years to the day, 
after Israel became a nation, 1948. Coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty strong coincidence. <laughs> Israel hadn't been a nation for thousands of years. 1948, they became a nation. Wow. The Bible says this, gen- this generation will not pass before they see these things. Some people think that the generation is the generation that was around when Israel became a nation. All that to say this. God gives us blessings in life here to enjoy, and we enjoy them. But man, we need to be about God's business. We need to be ready and willing to preach and talk to people about Jesus. I read, I will, I will close with this, maybe. Um, I was reading in 1 Kings the other day. If you're familiar with 1 Kings, that's where Solomon dies and his son, the kingdom splits. And you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You know, every time I read it, I get so confused. Why couldn't they have picked different names? I mean, really different names. But anyways, Jeroboam was the guy of the northern kingdom. All right, and southern kingdom was Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and God says, I'm taking the kingdom away from you, Solomon, and here's what's gonna happen, and so they divide. So you have Jeroboam at the kingdom of the north, the 10 tribes in the north, and God's word still says that you have to come to Jerusalem to worship, right? Jeroboam said, look, it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem. Let me build an altar here for you, and I'll build one over here and over here, and that way you don't have to go all the way into, these, into Jerusalem to worship. You can worship God in either of these two places. What was he doing? He was defying what God said first, and he was making it easy for the people to worship God. And I read that the other day. You know what I'm thinking? I love online. I love being able to see stuff online but I think that's making it easy for people to not gather together as God's word says we're to gather together. It's easy, we can just flip on the TV and watch the greatest preacher that's on TV today. And man, you just, you know, it's easy, you don't have to get dressed up, but God's word says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because there's something that happens when you gather together that God doesn't do by yourself. Now, there's difference if you can't make it. You physically can't make it. That's different. But I think 90% of the folks, it gets easy just to watch. And you don't have to get up early. You don't have to fight the weather. You don't have to do anything. You just, and then at 12 o'clock, click off and you go on. There's a reason that the Bible does talk about a falling away in the last days as well. And that's possibly what's happening here. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to make sure that we are glued to what God's doing. And we're not going to follow the world and what they're doing and making it easy for us to just coast. And when you don't come to church, you don't have to do anything either. You don't have to serve. You don't have to help. You don't have to minister. You also don't get to bless somebody else. There's a reason why God says get together. And not all of it's about preaching. Some of it's about fellowship. Some of it's about you ministering to somebody else during church time. Maybe you pray for someone after Sunday school. Maybe Sunday school has something for you that the sermon doesn't. There's a reason that God says you need to be together.
And see, that wasn't even in my notes. So that's free. Would you stand as we close this morning? Bow your heads for a moment. Hallelujah. Are you glad you're saved? Would you go back? I didn't hear too many no's in that. Would you go back? No. I don't want to make the mistake of thinking everybody here just because we're in a church that you're a Christian. Because you can go to church all your life and not be a Christian. So if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Christ, you can't look back at a time in your life where you accepted what Christ did for you as payment for your sin. If you don't know when that is or you can't pinpoint a date, the Bible says we need to examine ourselves to see if we really have that relationship. And if you're not sure, because the Bible tells us these things are written that you may know you have eternal life, you have confidence that what God's word says is true. If you don't have that confidence and you can't think of a date that you, you made that commitment, then maybe today's the day that you need to make that commitment. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, and I'll come Sunday next week and I'll get saved next week. No, that's not how it works. God gives you his word today and he wants you to respond to his word today. So if that's you and you want that relationship we're talking about, you want the, the love that Jesus has for you, he's reaching out his hand for you, but he needs for you to take it. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand this morning because I want to introduce you to the most important person in my life. All right, Father, thank you. Lord, we thank you for your so many blessings in our life. We can't even count them if we could. You've been so good to us. And you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our time. You're worthy of all that we do for the kingdom of God. And Father, all that we do, we just want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want your applause. We don't need anybody else's applause. We want your applause. And if we get your applause, we'll know that we're doing everything right. So Lord, I pray as these days grow closer to your return, I pray that you'll give each one of us a, a fresh burden, a burden and anointing to reach people with the love of Christ. Give us opportunity, give us boldness, open our mouths to talk. And when we open our mouth, Lord, you put the words in it. Help us to be the answer to somebody else's prayer for their loved one that we come in contact with. Lord, I commit this church to you. I pray your blessings upon us. Use us for your glory. Use everything we have before you return. We don't want to leave anything behind. We want to use everything up that you've given us so that when you do return, there's nothing left. We've spent it all. We've done it all. We've done all we could. Help us to do that, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great, great week. See you Wednesday night. We're continuing to talk about walking on water.